Hello and welcome to my brand new podcast. This is the Digital Sociology Podcast. Um, and so this is going to be a series in which I'll be talking to various researchers about their work, all of which is related to digital society and digital culture in different kinds of ways. And for me, the purpose of this series is mostly an excuse for me to have a chat with some really interesting people about the um, the really interesting work that they're doing. And I hopefully you'll find it um, useful uh, yourselves and maybe entertaining as well. Um, so this will be a series of discussions um, built around the kinds of work that the, the my guests are doing, but will um, be sometimes a bit more wide-ranging than that as well. So these will um, vary in length depending on how long uh, the discussions were, but they'll mostly be around 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, and if you want some more information about uh, the podcasts, then you can uh, go to my website. This is not a sociology.blog, um, and there'll be links to the places where you can hear the podcasts and subscribe to them on SoundCloud and, and, and iTunes. Uh, you can also contact me on Twitter at Chris H. Till. Uh, in this first episode, I'm talking to uh, Mike Saker, who is a senior lecturer in broadcasting and digital creative industries at Southampton Solent University uh, in the School of Media, Arts and Technology. Uh, and he'll be talking about his research about locative media, um, which is uh, the kinds of things which was pioneered really by Foursquare, I suppose. Um, but also incorporates hybrid reality games like Pokemon Go uh, and also the aspects of Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and those kinds of uh, applications which allows you to uh, share your location and also find out information about uh, the world around you through the lens of those, those kinds of digital um, applications. Uh, this interview was recorded at the British Sociological Association conference uh, back in April and a few of uh, the upcoming episodes were also uh, recorded there and so what I was doing was uh, pretty much grabbing people where I could and recording them on whatever device I happened to have to hand and so in some cases there's some kind of background noise but I think um, I, I think the sound quality is uh, generally not too bad um, but um, this first discussion with Mike, I think, is is pretty interesting, and so um, I'll pass over to myself and Mike, and uh, please do let me know what you think. Okay, so I'm here at the BSA again, and um, I'm talking to Mike Saker. So, hi, Mike. Hi, Chris. So, uh, thanks for talking to me, and so... Um, Mike uh, is um, here at the BSA talking about a paper he's um, working on around Pokemon Go. Correct. Uh, uh, but you've been um, broadly working for the last few years or so around uh, locative media. Yeah. Um, so could you tell me a bit about what, 
uh, what locative media is and what what's interesting about it for you yes absolutely so my research really began in it was around 2010 that I started doing a PhD that was at Southampton University and I was just interested in how mobile phones specifically smartphones had kind of incorporated GPS and potentially what the impact would be when people had GPS devices in terms of digital information overlaying real-world environments, how they might use that information to coordinate space and place, to make social connections, to make new social connections, to more dexterously kind of move through their environment and so on, and how that might be used in terms of pervasive play. I was really looking at some of the early locative games. And so today that kind of feeds in. I was doing a paper on Pokemon Go, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a big hybrid reality reality game that we've got yeah. going on at the minute and just in case people don't know what a hybrid mm-hmm. reality game is that's where it, it's an intermingling of the physical and the digital so you've got that real world environment you're using your smartphone you're using digital information within that environment for kind of playful means and I was exploring what the potential impacts of mm-hmm. that are in terms of a sociology and in terms of cultural and kind of mobilities as well so that that, that was the paper right yeah so um one of the things that I think you you kind of get so I've looked at some of your your your, your previous work around you've looked at uh, Foursquare yes and um, what's the one that kind of came before Foursquare there was so there was Pac-Man happened before Foursquare there's Mogi there's been Dodgeball yeah Dodgeball this yes. is when yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so but that, that's that that works slightly differently. Yeah. Um, so Foursquare people are probably familiar with, but Dodgeball maybe, maybe not, not. Not so much. Yeah. So Dodgeball was a really early... So, so Foursquare was around 2007, 2008 mm. that it was released in South by Southwest. Um, Dodgeball was a mobile social network, mm. but it didn't use kind of GPS data. What people did, users would, and it was specifically in New York, but users would text their location to kind of a server mm-hmm. and it would send a, a message out to a defined list of friends right. where they were okay, Lee Humphreys yeah, yeah. has done a, a paper on Dodgeball yeah. and that paper is kind of the classic seminal text that if yeah. you're doing some kind of locative work right. you will you almost have to make reference yeah. um, to it's Dodgeball yeah, yeah yes it is the, it's the implicit rules that you will mention this and it's because Dodgeball and the idea of what Lee Humphreys was kind of exploring there yeah. has been so seminal to the likes of Foursquare and so I think one of the things you suggested is that these kind of locative media renegotiate space. Yeah. Um, and so in what, what kind of ways would, would you see that, that working? How do they rede- rede- redefine or re- how people uh, engage with space? So if, we, if you think about a term like um, ambient play that mm-hmm. Yorth and Richardson talk about, and it's this sense of ambient play or just ambient nature of mobile technology is where it weaves itself into our day-to-day lives mm. and it oscillates between attention and distraction which is what we're, we're, we're kind of playing with when we engage with mobile media within environments and what it does in terms of spatiality is it presents new opportunities for people to connect to digital information what really fascinated me about this to begin with when I was kind of writing my um, my proposal for the PhD was this idea of all of that digital information being out there and your phone almost serving as a sixth sense that then enabled you to see this information that lies just beneath the surface Um, my view was was how might this information change how people approach their environments and you see with the likes of Pokemon Go which is where people are capturing Pokemons with their phone this augmented reality application that when you're doing something like that 
presents the opportunity for people to think differently about their environment. Mm. It might lead you into spaces that you haven't been to before. Equally, it presents new opportunities for social connections and so on. Yeah. So it's a renegotiation of space. Suddenly, the mundane aspects of yeah. spatiality and our kind of quotidian movements through space and place become reinvigorated, or they can be kind of imbued with the playfulness. Yeah, it takes on new kind of new new meanings. Absolutely, that's yeah. exactly what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, obviously, all of these things you've been talking about, whether it's dodgeball, four square, Pokemon Go, they're, they're all um, commercial enterprises. Uh, yeah. Would you see this as a, 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 a new kind of uh, commercialization of space, a kind of an overlaying of a, a new commercial kind of layer onto uh, onto public or any other kinds of spaces, or is it something else going on? Would you say, like, and there lies that's a, that's a really interesting question because what, what what we seem to get with say the likes of Foursquare, if I go back to Foursquare, so location based social networking sites, and one of the aspects of Foursquare was people could leave tips, environmental tips, mm. and what I found from my research was that people believe those tips were being left by people that were kind of indigenous of that space, that it was locals, mm. that it gave them an insight into the area that they wouldn't have. They felt almost as if they were local in environments that they weren't yeah. local to. Um, but they would often then go and buy things within these spaces. <laughs> and there was a belief that because it was somehow authentic, it was a way of undercutting the capitalism that yeah. might overlay or be actually connected to mm. an environment. But almost in a strange postmodern sense, the authenticity of that yeah. performance didn't really seem to matter. It felt authentic, and that was what was important yeah. in terms of the authenticity. But it is, I think it's very interesting to see businesses um, starting to use some of mm. these applications and what that might mean about the commodification of play. Yeah, I suppose you can <clears throat> see how that, that idea works because uh, before the use of these, you might as a tourist you might more easily kind of fall into the kind of classic tourist trap restaurant or, or whatever it's, it's much easier to avoid that perhaps if you know around the corner is this place that the locals or yes says good or it gets five stars and trip advisor or, or whatever yes yeah it kind of gives you you know it, it, it presents it's a revealing of place that somehow feels different and it also feels different um i remember from my supervision meetings uh, Mark Will, one of my supervisors, would always ask me, you know, well, how is this any different to Time Out? Mm. You know, Time Out magazine, how is this different? And this was like uh, an interminable question that mm. would be asked every single time we would have a meeting. And by the end, my view was that it was different because it felt as if it somehow undercut that commercialization. Mm. It didn't feel as commercial because it was the people that mm. were creating this. But equally, that doesn't mean that it isn't connected to capitalism in some yeah, way, or the course. commodification yeah. of kind of place and and actually so you use you draw on the notion of the the flaneur yes um but um so uh, if people aren't <clears throat> familiar with that um is it originally come from Baudelaire? Or? Yes, it does actually. Yeah. Yeah, originally, it was Baudelaire, and then yeah. it was Walter Benjamin who's written yeah. about it, kind of you know most most famously yeah. with his work, the Arcade Project. Yeah, and it's just for you know in case people aren't aware of the flaneur it's that sense of moving through space and place in a more poetic mm. way um, not being so driven by destination but instead focusing on mobilities and kind of looking that scomphilia mm. of, of absorbing the ambiance of, of place so the flaneur kind of worked well for Foursquare mm. because we were interested in how the mobilities of these people did it change when they used or when they mm. were playing Foursquare 
and it was no longer about destination. People would just play the game, and the playing of the game would then impact their movements, kind of yeah. the pathways, the routes, and it opened up new bits of the city that they hadn't been to before. So rather than being this kind of go very directly from A to B, yeah. I need to get here, it's, it's about being in the city and moving yeah. around. Yeah, although it is about, about being in the city, but I mean, the flanner, strictly speaking, was about absorbing that, you know, the ambiance of right. seeing yeah. the city and, sure, yeah. and being a stranger in some way. Mm. And there's a different kind of flannery that goes on with Foursquare because your attention is between the digital and the physical. Mm. Um, it was almost like the digital arcades that were being erected just beneath the surface yeah. that then people would derive through. So there's an interesting kind of interplay. And I was also, Leighton Evans, the, 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 one of the people I've written with around Foursquare, um, we were interested about the motivation of play. Mm. And that's why we come up with that, that term, the player instead of the flanner. So the player instead of the flanner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Um, but And again, but actually connecting it to that um, notion of um, the importance of capitalism there. Cause, so, I mean, as I understand it, the, the flaneur really is a, a, a kind of a, a product, a, a character of of the capitalist city. Yeah. The, the fact that there is a commercial city of shops and, and restaurants to to kind of to, to, to drift around. Yeah. Um, so, would you see that almost Having being a, a yeah? And, yeah. and do you mean, Chris, in, in terms of the flaneur kind of being an anti-capitalistic <laughs> figure? Or someone that was created because of capitalism. Um, yeah, no, no, not anti-capitalist, but yeah, uh, uh, created in in that context. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I'm not not saying that they are uh, not kind of necessarily a dupe of capitalism or yeah. anything like that, or, or that they're resisting it. Yeah, they seem to be a kind of there's a certain ambivalence yes. to them. And you mentioned the stranger and that that notion of the stranger we get from from Z- uh, Zimmel as well. Yeah, seems to be a similarly kind of ambivalent kind of figure drifting around they're not quite one thing or the other I think maybe yeah Yeah. and I I think you get that more so with Foursquare Mm. than something like Pokemon Go I think Mm. what's interesting with Foursquare because it didn't have the popularity of Pokemon Go the, the players kind of felt that they were different from the mainstream, the general public. Okay, right, that's interesting. And that enabled them to take on this sense of an identity that felt other in some way. It was yeah. about them having this local kind of engagement with space and place. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was a certain, there's, there's a difference between yeah. you know, the use of Foursquare, I would suggest, and Pokemon Go, mm. because there's more of a performance of play with Pokemon. It's very yeah. difficult to be uh, conspicuous when you're playing Pokemon yeah. Go. But that popularity issue actually as well, because uh, something else you mentioned in one of your papers is is often the popularity of these things drops Wines, off. Yeah, uh, and I think that that's um, even though I think it is still very popular, I think that's probably happened with Pokemon. And so, so, so like last summer was big. It's every every <coughs> pretty much um, yeah. yeah seemed to be, um, and that is maybe kind of just so. Uh, it, it is, does that speak to something in terms of that these things are, are kind of novelty based or is there yeah. something else something something more, more to, yeah. yeah I sometimes feel like I only like studying things Chris that are dying you know <laughs> I want to take something that's popular and then study it as this thing collapses yeah. you know but um, in actual fact Foursquare was just going back to Foursquare just briefly was one of the biggest location based social networking mm. sites you know, 50 million users but there was a novelty to it and it gradually changed and it changed enough that really the Foursquare we see now doesn't resemble what it was mm. um, Pokemon Go 
in actual fact, when I was beginning the research project that I'm working on at the minute, uh, I say I've been working on it with Leighton Evans from Brighton and Deedham uh, Oskol from University of Arts London, where we're, we're, we're just kind of studying it presently, it's maintained a certain level of popularity. The view was in the general press, and I do think that people like kind of a backlash story against something that was hugely popular, especially off the back of stories of people being killed playing Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Um, the sense that it's not going to have the legs to kind of last. It doesn't have the longevity. And in actual fact, they recently there was a water festival that they did the other weekends. They seem to be adding and changing things with the game. And the numbers were looked very impressive in terms mm. of the amount of people that were playing it. It's been downloaded nearly 600 million times. Mm. I think the popularity of it for the people that still play it mm. and for the people that would have always played it, as yeah, well, yeah, exactly. um, it's still popular. Yeah. Which I'm pleased about. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't want it to die until I've kind of finished <laughs> it's least, yeah, you, you, you've written your article exactly yeah, yeah. that's the important <laughs> thing you mentioned briefly I think before about um, a sense of kind of performance particularly I think particularly with Foursquare yeah um, could you kind of elaborate on that a bit is, is it that you see the um, the the, uh, the, the the presentation of self through yeah through leaving a review or, 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 or through of like checking into certain places yeah. it shows you're a certain kind of person because you frequent this, this kind of yeah. bar this kind of cafe or whatever yeah so uh, there was a, a paper I did for in New Media and Society about Foursquare checking in an identity and that was looking at kind of Goffman's notion of the presentation mm. itself these front stage performances that we do and a sense that it is a performance but it alludes to a backstage where there's that sense of who we actually are yeah. uh, from my research on Foursquare people had a real sense of their check-ins were representative of the kind of person that they were so if they were going to say a fancy restaurant that was because they were the kind of person that went to a fancy restaurant and there was something they would pick and choose really which ones they wanted to present in accord with their view of themselves so I think in that way um, the performance of Foursquare um, becomes a way of disseminating that notion of self about mm. what people want. A really interesting thing with Foursquare as well was it wasn't just about presenting the self through check-ins. It was using other people's, the information that people had left in terms of locational tips. That was another big bit of Foursquare. People would use them and feel that they were somehow local within an environment that they weren't local within. And in this instance, they the performance was inauthentic in terms of they weren't local but it was through that inauthentic performance that they were able to feel authentically local yes. so there was a weird kind of reversal I feel like of, I've done this <laughs> yeah so we're kind of like feeling of I know that this is kind of inauthentic but there's a certain authenticity that's connected to it and certainly the authenticity was they authentically felt that they'd experienced something authentic even if that was inauthentic yes and that's what was kind of important Yes, yeah, no, that really, um, yeah, I can kind of connect with that. I feel like I've, I've been on holiday and I've walked like very much off the beaten track to a local yeah. sort of neighbourhood nice restaurant. Is yeah, I'm, I, this is the real thing. <laughs> this is the Not experience. like those, those, yes. the, those people over there yeah. in the, their kind of um, chain restaurants. And do you know what, and that alludes back, just tying that back in, that there for me was the dichotomy with time out and the usage of this kind of application. Yeah. The timeout for my participants was 
the commercial spot that was there yeah. and the experience where they were off the beaten track where the menus that they were reading were in English that was the experience that felt more mm. um, local and that's kind of what they that's what they mm. were doing and all of the people that seemingly used Foursquare I spoke to really saw themselves as being at the vanguard of a, te- of a new technology yeah. and that was also part of their identity as it were On that aspect of identity as well, um, you suggested that people yearn for a sense of yearn for surveillance as a form of affirmation. I think I think is uh, roughly how you phrased it. Um, and could you kind of elaborate on what, what you mean by that? So that that, that people are kind of uh, get a certain kind of affirmation from through kind of checking in, yes, and, and people being able to see what they're doing yes and I, I know it sounds Chris like a, almost like a cheap meme you know like if you haven't checked in were well, you really there yeah um, but there is some truth to that mm-hmm. and lots of the participants that I spoke to some of the younger guys that were very interested in their gym check-ins being mm-hmm. acknowledged if they weren't acknowledged it genuinely felt as if they not that they necessarily hadn't been but that side of their identity hadn't yeah. been affirmed yeah and they ended up presenting themselves in a certain way and then what they needed in order for that self to feel real and authentic was for it to have been witnessed and in the end it was almost like a panopticon it Mm. didn't matter if no one had seen it it was the fact that they put it out there and it might be seen enabled them to feel as if they'd been observed they kind of they internalized an external Mm. observer that they were as a way of affirming the self that they presented but this and, and what it, it kind of may also made me think about the kind of that Panopticon um, comparisons are really interesting. But it also made me think about the notion of the Charles Cooley's looking glass self. Yeah. The, the, this idea that we get a sense of ourself by what our, what we think the generalised other, other is kind of thinking about that is kind of reflected through. You know, yes. Through, so yeah. it, it's kind of a way of putting your a bit of yourself out to yeah. the generalised other again whether or not they see it is not necessarily the point but you have to exist for others to, in order to, to order to have a self yes and it's, I think that's, that's really interesting because it's like the performance there of doing it it's a way of controlling mm. your image that's external to you yeah. and that's a way and thinking it through in terms of that framework it's a way of sticking this this presentation of self out there externally and having something that's almost has a tangible sense to it in some way so did you find that people were managing that so they, they were really keen to some young guys to, 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 to check in at the gym to make sure that that was, that was there that was kind of totting up on their kind of identity uh, kind of met, um, um, performance yes um, do people edit bits out um, uh, yes they would edit bits out and I think it's, it, it was very very important to them and it enabled them to feel that they were who they viewed themselves as being mm. and it was through that affirmation and actually if we tie it back to academia and the notion of publishing if you're publishing things you might know that you're an academic and you're doing things but everyone wants to have their work published in good journals and so yeah. on and that's a way of affirming your sense of self mm. and if you don't get it published in the top set then it kind of impacts you or it might mm. make you feel not good because you feel inauthentic in the kind of self that you think you are and in a similar vein lots of my participants if if they weren't witness doing these things it felt as if they weren't that character they needed that to be seen in order for them to feel and it would actually impact their general mood if it it wasn't read in that way um you, you also mentioned that I think some of your participants said things like such as that they they wouldn't 
um, they wouldn't falsely uh, falsely check in. So I think this was in relation to uh, there was a in Foursquare there was a you could be the mayor of a um, of an environment of an yes. environment. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and some people realised that it would be possible for them to actually to check in and build up their stats to in order to become the person who checked in the most and therefore the mayor and have that status. Yes. They'd be able to kind of they would actually be able to kind of game that or kind of yeah. manipulate that a bit. But they felt like they that's something they wouldn't do. That they wouldn't do it. So because it, so, that would be inauthentic. Because it would be inauthentic. And this this was for the most people that kind of played it. So the mayorship mechanic of Foursquare was if you check in an environment more than another player mm. over a sixty day period, you become the mayor of that spot. Mm. And anyone else checking in will see your name and you're yeah. the mayor of that space. Um and there was a sense with, yeah, that they, they wouldn't want to game the system and pretend that they were somewhere else. And I, when I was, was chatting to people, especially the ones that were really into Foursquare, mm. as you would imagine, was a sense that doing this was very wrong. You know, yeah. and it was, and I said, but there's no, it's kind of built into the design of it that you can get away mm. with doing it. And they were saying, yeah, but this is incorrect. And if I see other people that are doing this, then I will call it to the attention of. <laughs> and the view was that it was somehow, you know, you were doing something against the law of Foursquare that needed to be policed yeah. by the outlaws mm. in some way. So there was an interesting kind of view of the implicit rules that mm. go on. And actually that suggested something about the identity of the yeah. kind of people that were that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to kind of finish off on, really, um, do you think, to some extent, Foursquare um, and and these kinds of things have been superseded by Google Maps, Facebook? They they they, they yeah. in various ways build in some of those kind of processes that you're describing in terms of checking in, yeah, leaving reviews. Uh, the location-based kind of uh, applications, yeah. are they all being incorporated into these kind of few uh, uh, huge uh, kind of mainstream applications? Yeah, yeah. Or are they offering something else? I, I think that they are. In many ways, I, I, whenever I like to think about this, it's almost like, say if we were thinking about it in terms of fashion, um, mm. Foursquare was almost the catwalk which we might have some very bizarre clothes that wander down mm. that catwalk that don't look like they fit into the general public or no, what people would kind of use. And then gradually, over the years, that becomes mainstreamed into yeah. normal clothes, but it's beveled down. It's a much softer, less concentrated version. I think the likes of Pokemon Go, the likes of Foursquare, we, we're using location in a different way. And for some people, there would be that they would think of the hybrid reality games as being a very strange pastime. Mm. But in actual fact, the use of location and sharing your position became mainstreamed into Facebook, became mainstreamed into Twitter, was mainstreamed into Instagram, and it becomes normalised in some way, and it becomes just a mundane part of social media. It has those edges. It still have yeah. It kind of has those edges, just like beveled down in some way. It becomes a more palatable way of consuming that mode of kind of engagement with digital technologies so I think the likes of Foursquare are those those outliers that do something different and eventually the, the extravagance or the explicit difference of it becomes reduced and then what we get in that reduction is just absorbed across the mainstream platforms and I think we might see that well actually in many ways Pokemon Go is it's all of that research on locative media, pervasive games that's gone on for about 15 years yeah. has now come to bear in a game that's been hugely popular, certainly in terms of yeah. location. Well, there, there was another, it's based on Ingress. Ingress, that was it, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a little go of that 
before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is, it's almost exactly the same game yes. mechanics, isn't it? Yeah. And, but, and it, but it's basically that data which fed through into... Yes, yeah. is that right? Yeah, because lots of the kind of the the structure of ingress still remains with mm. Pokemon. Um, the kind of the poker stops might yeah. be it's the, the the comparable part with with ingress. Yeah, but because it's Pokemon, because it has yeah. that sense of nostalgia for many people that are playing yeah. it in their twenties, um, it's a different kettle of fish, and also has different game mechanics that are built into it. And I think it would be really interesting to see, and certainly from my position, really interesting to see how all of this talk around locative games that was with a reasonably small audience, mm. what it might do when it becomes Pokemon Go, because it will add contours to that research yeah. that we've got. We can explore the kind of questions that we left off with, with Foursquare, we can now examine on a much wider basis. Yeah. And you might really get to see how that ambient play, when it intervenes in everyday life and impacts what locative gameplay might do to people's mobility is space mm. and place, and how that eventually kind of seeps yeah. into the mainstream, or gets absorbed by different applications um, and that's why I'm particularly excited by you know Pokemon Go just to see what it does alright that's great thanks for talking to me Mike thank and, you uh, yeah. see you again soon thank you Bye. so there was my chat with Mike um, I hope you found that interesting um, just as a um, another point my previous podcast Digital health, digital capitalism, uh, which I've now finished, um, is actually on the same uh, SoundCloud account as this one. So uh, if you've already subscribed to that one, uh, then this should th- this new one should um, should kind of continue in the feed, um, and those old episodes um, are still available there. So if if they're of any interest to you, uh, you can go back and have a look at them as well. Um, but if you'd like to subscribe to this one, uh, you can do so on, on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, and again, those links are all available on my website. This is not a sociology.blog. And so uh, I hope you might want to come back uh, for one of uh, my following episodes in the future. Um, in the next episode, I'll be talking to Sean Lincoln um, about her work on Facebook and identity. Uh, so I hope to see you then. Um, but before I go, I should point out that the music I've used uh, is all on a Creative Commons license. Uh, the intro and outro uh, music is um, Welcome to Video Game Island by Mole. And the incidental uh, music, the little stings, is um, Disco Stomp by Jonas78. See you next time. <laughs>